Corinthians and chapter 11. 1 Corinthians and chapter 11. Here Paul is addressing the Corinthian church about their misuse of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And in doing so, speaks to them of how they should be doing and what they should be doing and why. And he has much to teach us and show us in the process. Let's give our attention now to the Word of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse 17, reading through the end of the chapter. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead of another with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. At the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. May God add his blessing to this reading of his holy word. Let's pray together. Father, again, we commit ourselves afresh into your hands. You are the potter, and we are the clay. This day, would you open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your law. Lord, these are things we have seen many times over. Stir our hearts and enable us to see the wonder and the beauty and the fullness and the richness and the glory of our redemption. In the Lord Jesus Christ, we ask for Jesus' sake. 
Well, many of us most likely have a practice of remembering certain days, of setting certain days of the year aside because they remind us of significant events in our lives. One of the most common would be, if you're married, remembering your anniversary. It's not a good day to forget. But we set aside that day because it was a special event in our lives. Other people will celebrate a birthday. I even heard of someone who celebrates half birthdays. So every six months instead of once a year. But by far and more significant is the fact that God in his word set apart certain days to be remembered, to remind his people of particular events. So the Passover in Exodus 12, in particular verse 14, God says, you shall observe the 14th day of the first month for the rest of your lives. It is to remind you of the great work of redemption of God in bringing the people out of slavery in Egypt. Another such day was the festival of booths. God said you are to observe this festival every year because I want you to remember. I want you to remember those days when when your fathers and grandfathers wandered in the wilderness. But I provided for you. And, of course, the Sabbath day. God took one day out of seven days in every week to remind his people. And in the New Testament, that becomes the Lord's day. One day in seven in which what? We remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. Every Lord's day. That should be a prominent part of our worship. We don't serve, we don't worship a dead Christ, but we worship a living Christ who is exalted on high. Now, maybe you're asking yourself, why? Why would God's people need a specific day to remind them of these amazing works of grace and favor that God has bestowed upon his people. Well, while we would think we would not forget, I think most of us recognize God's people have always been prone to forget what God is doing, what God has done, and what God has promised to do. Nowhere is that more obvious than in the celebration of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. How could we possibly forget the work of redemption? The work of Christ has done for our souls. And yet, my friends, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper was appointed by Christ 
to be observed, not a, a, a prescribed program every week or every month or every year, but as often as you do it, it is to be done with these words, do this in remembrance of me. Our Savior wants his people to remember specifically things that he has done and things that he has accomplished for our salvation. Now, we've looked at this observance from many different angles. I've read countless number of books. Practically every Puritan wrote on the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, and yet each one seems to have a different element that he emphasizes. And we've looked at so many different elements of this sacrament. But to this day, I am convinced that no one, no one gives us a richer, fuller, more edifying view of the meaning and purpose of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper than Matthew Henry. It's not in his commentaries. You'll have to have the two-volume set of his collected works to find it, or it was published under a separate title for a while uh, under the Communicant's Companion. If you can find it, it is worth its weight in gold. I don't want us to look this morning at four points that Matthew Henry gives us. Number one, the Lord's Supper is a commemorating ordinance. Two, the Lord's Supper is a confessing ordinance. Three, the Lord's Supper is a communicating ordinance. And four, the Lord's Supper is a covenanting ordinance. This gives us a beautiful, full-orbed picture of what this sacrament is designed to do what it's meant to say to you this morning as we come and partake of these elements. First, the Lord's Supper is a commemorating ordinance. Of all the different elements that we could mention, uh, all the different ways that this sacrament is designed to, to portray Christ to us, this particular element is probably the most well-known it commemorates. We remember. It, it's just, it, that's because it's so clearly stated for us in the text itself. When Jesus says, this do in remembrance of me. Remember me. Commemorate what Christ has done. But even here, in spite of its simplicity, I fear that many come short of the blessing that is intended. Because so often people will, will look at the Lord's Supper as simply being a time to, to take a few moments and reflect upon Christ's painful sufferings and cruel death on the cross. Now, my friends, don't misunderstand me. The Bible calls us to think of those things. And the detailed descriptions that we have of our Savior's 
suffering and passion on the cross in passages like Isaiah 53 or Hebrews 9 and 10 or in the gospel when we have Matthew 27 or John 19. All of those passages are well suited to set before us in in definitive terms the suffering and the pain that our Savior endured in our place. But my friends, in remembering him, we do more than just take a few moments to think about the pain that he endured. We do more than just think about the the sheer cruelty of the Roman process of crucifixion and what Christ endured upon the cross. We need to do two things in particular when we remember our Savior's death and suffering. Number one, we need to think of his suffering as they are presented to us in the Scriptures. What I mean by that is sometimes people look at the the whole process of the arrest and conviction and crucifixion of Christ and say, man, Christ was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And here is is an example of one of those moments when evil appears to triumph over good. Christ was arrested and falsely accused and convicted and condemned to die upon the cross. But that is not the way the Bible presents the sufferings of Christ. The Bible puts the cross as a picture of our Redeemer voluntarily giving himself as a sacrifice in our place. Christ offering himself to God as a substitutionary sacrifice. You and I, my friends, deserve to die. We deserve the wrath of God that Christ endured upon the cross, but he said, no, I will take his place. And the scriptures present Christ as willingly, voluntarily offering himself to take our place. You may remember how in John chapter 10, the good shepherd chapter where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay it down. No one takes it from me. This was not evil men just just conniving and working and planning and succeeding in overcoming the righteous one. This is Christ willingly, voluntarily taking our place as a substitute on the cross. Remember how John the Apostle writes in 1 John 2 when he says, If anyone sins... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he is the propitiation 
of our sins. That's a big word that a lot of people don't like anymore. And a lot of modern translations leave it out and change it. But it's very critical to understand because propitiation means to turn away the wrath of God by means of a sacrifice. Christ was the reason that you and I will not endure the wrath of God if we believe in him. He turned away the wrath of God by means of this voluntary sacrifice. By that sacrifice, my friends, you and I can be reconciled to God. Those who were once enemies are now brought together as friends by the sacrifice of Christ. But not only that, by that sacrifice, the power of the devil was destroyed. The strong man has been bound and he can no longer deceive the nations as he did for thousands of years. When Christ rose from the dead, he broke the power of the devil. And we will not have time to open that up tremendously. But here's the second thing that we need to do as we remember him. When we commemorate Christ and his work, we need to do more than just remember his suffering. Even as it's presented in scripture, we are to remember him. We're to remember his person. We're to remember who Christ is and where he is now. So we want to remember him, what he did on the cross, but also where he is now and what he's doing now. Brothers and sisters, Christ is our prophet. He's our priest. He's our king. He's the one who's been raised from the dead and exalted on high and seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's ruling and reigning from his throne in heaven, waiting until all his enemies are made his footstool. Remember him where he is now. Remember him as Hebrews 7, 25 describes him. Do you remember those verses? Hebrews 7 and verse 25. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost all who come to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession. For them. What, what a full, glorious picture Amen. of our Savior now, where He is. He is able to save to the uttermost. He doesn't do 90% and you do 10, He doesn't do 99% and you do 1. 
He saves to the uttermost everyone who comes to God through him. My friends, whoever you are, whatever your, your life has been, there is no cause for fear that he will not receive you. If you come to him, call upon his name, confess your sin, and believe on him, he will save you. And he will save you to the uttermost. And you know what? He ever lives to make intercession for you now. Have you ever felt like nobody cares about me? Nobody's interested in my life, my problems, my difficulties. My friends, Christ prays. If you believe in him, Christ prays for you. He ever lives to make intercession for you now. As we come to the Lord's table this morning, let us come commemorating, remembering him, where he is, what he's done, what he's doing now, and what he has promised to do. Well, secondly, the Lord's Supper is a confessing ordinance. Now, unlike the words, this do in remembrance of me, this particular aspect of the Lord's Supper is not quite so well known. The way that the church for centuries now has described it is the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. The word sacrament comes from the Latin sacramentum. And it was used primarily as to describe the vow or the pledge of a soldier to live and die for his country. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper is a time in which we partake of these elements and we do so as a confession of our faith in him of our love for him, of our desire to live for his glory. And this is indicated by the words of Christ in verse 26 of our text. And so here in, in verse 26, the Lord said, As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Every time you do this, you proclaim. Have you ever thought, my friends, about that? That you are proclaiming? What are you proclaiming? To whom are you proclaiming? I saw another whole sermon. But the fact is, here, our Savior says, every time you do this, as oft as you eat and drink the Lord's Supper, you proclaim the Lord's death. That is, you openly acknowledge and avow your commitment to Christ and specifically with reference to his death. How did he die? He died by crucifixion. And Paul tells us in chapter 1 and verse 23 that the crucifixion was reserved for criminals. 
And to die by crucifixion was a shameful death. If you were crucified, there was a stigma of disgrace about your life and your person. And therefore, in, in chapter 1 and verse 23, Paul says the crucifixion is a stumbling block to the Jews. Who would believe in a Savior who was crucified? That's the sense. And it's utter foolishness to the Greeks. But my friends, for the child of God, the crucifixion is something entirely different. In this sacrament, we proclaim the death of Christ. We gladly take our place beneath the banner of the cross, like that soldier who vowed to his death to serve faithfully those whom he was enlisted by. So we take our place under the banner of the cross, the crucifixion of Christ, the death of Christ. And we proclaim, we testify that his death upon the cross is our only hope for salvation. And it's our only hope of acceptance with God. And instead of being ashamed of it, instead of hesitating to speak about a crucified Savior, we proclaim his death. In the Lord's Supper, we sing of its victories. We tell of its accomplishments. We say with the apostle in chapter 1 that the cross is the power of God. And the wisdom of God. No one else can do for us what Christ has done. And he did it through the cross. And so every time you eat this bread. And every time you drink of this cup. You proclaim. This is my hope. That Christ has died for me. You proclaim his death. Thirdly, the Lord's Supper is a communicating ordinance. Now, this is probably the most confusing of all the ones, at least to our present-day society. And, and the question is, is often asked, what, what exactly does that mean, that the Lord's Supper is a communicating ordinance? For those that understand it, this is one of the dearest, most delightful, most edifying and profitable part of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. What we mean by this is that when properly observed, when by faith, in repentance of our sins, we come to this table and we eat and drink, not because we deserve it, but because God is gracious and he has appointed this for us. When it is properly observed, the Lord's Supper not only reminds us of Christ, 
it not only gives us a picture of him and calls us to acknowledge our faith and trust in him, but it communicates the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now keep in mind that we're taking this, this passage in 1 Corinthians 11 and we're kind of lifting it out and we're examining it. But what Paul teaches about the Lord's Supper in chapter 11 flows out of what he has just said in chapter 10. If you look back to 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 16, listen to what he says. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? That word communion means fellowship, means to participate in. Brethren, this, this sacrament of the Lord's Supper communicates to us the blessings that flow from the body and blood of our Savior. This is not just, just words. This is exactly what God has intended, that when we observe this grace and blessing. Grace and blessing from God flows to our souls. We receive these blessings. And therefore, when we read this, the, the cup we bless, is it not the communion, the communication of the blood of Christ? The bread, is it not the communion, the communication of the body of Christ. Not as Rome taught that the elements literally become the body and blood of Christ. That's obviously not the case when Christ first instituted the Lord's Supper with his disciples. His body was right there in front of them. But he picked up bread that they were already eating and he said, this is my body. This represents my body. Not as Luther taught and his strange doctrine of consubstantiation that the body and blood of Christ is by, with, and under the elements. What does that mean? It's very confusing. Nor is it what Zwingli taught when he said it, it's just a memorial. It's much more than a memorial. It is a memorial, but it's more than a memorial. It's the communion of the body and blood of the Lord. I think the shorter catechism picks this up beautifully when it asks the question, what is a sacrament? Listen to the answer, number 92. A sacrament is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ wherein by sensible signs, things you can touch and feel and taste and smell, by sensible signs, listen, Christ and the benefits of the covenant 
are represented, sealed, and applied to believers. My friends, this is a communicating ordinance. Each time you receive these elements in faith, you receive with them all the benefits of the covenant of grace. You receive all the benefits that have been bought and paid for by the body and blood of the Savior. Far from being an empty, meaningless, insignificant ritual that doesn't matter whether you receive it or not, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is a communicating ordinance. It brings home to our hearts, to our souls, to our minds, to our spirits, our justification by his righteousness. The great love of the Father in our adoption of taking us into his family and becoming sons and daughters of the Most High God. It brings home the joy and the hope that we have, the promises of sanctifying grace. When the Lord says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk according to my statutes. My friends, when you eat and drink today, you eat and drink and receive and it communicates the benefits, all the benefits of the new covenant, the hope of glory. Listen to what Matthew Henry says. Here, says Matthew Henry, all the fountains of the great deep are broken up and floods of grace pour forth upon the dry and thirsty ground of our souls. What a, what a way to describe the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. That in this, the floods, the fountains of the great deep are broken up and floods of grace flow forth to our dry and thirsty souls. My friends, in the Lord's Supper, Christ comes. He draws near to comfort the heavy-hearted. He draws near to strengthen the weak knees. He draws near to lift up the hands that hang down. He draws near to fill the soul with exceeding great joy. Like the prophet Isaiah, I will greatly rejoice in the salvation of my God. The garments of salvation, the robe of righteousness that God has supplied through Christ. In these elements, our Savior comes with spiritual food and drink to comfort, to nourish, to sustain, to refresh our souls. Well, lastly, in the Lord's Supper, it is a covenanting ordinance. 
not too many years ago, one of the members in our church down south died, and we had to go to the funeral service in an Episcopal church. And right in the middle of the service, they said, we believe that the departed individual would have no greater desire but that all of you come forward and receive the communion. It was for everyone. No, no ifs, no ands, no buts, no conditions, no examination, no, nothing. Just he wants everybody to come and partake. It's for everyone. My friends, Jesus was much more discriminated. The Lord's Supper is not for everyone. Jesus says this cup is the new covenant in my blood. In other words, this Lord's Supper is not for everyone. The sacrament is for those who have entered into a covenant obligation with the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have come and said, you are my God. You are my Savior. I am trusting in you and you alone for my salvation. And I am your servant. I will live the rest of my days for your will, for your purposes, for your glory. That's the covenant that we have entered into. This, my friends, is why the PCA requires membership in an evangelical church. We take seriously the, the stipulations here that if you eat and drink in an unworthy manner, if you don't discern the Lord's body in these elements, if you have not true faith, you are eating and drinking judgment to yourselves. We don't want that to happen. And therefore, we say, come to the church, be willing to be examined and tested that those who are genuine, as the apostle says, are made evident. Membership is important. The Lord's Supper is a sign and seal of the covenant that we have made. This is the new covenant. This is ordained by Christ to, to remind us of our covenant obligations and covenant blessings. So here, ladies and gentlemen, young people, here God pledges himself to be our God and to forgive our sins to give a new heart to those that ask him and to put his spirit within us and cause us to walk according to his statutes. Here, we pledge, we pledge to be the Lord's people. We pledge to keep his commandments. We pledge to love and serve him forever. Of all the expressions that, that we see to describe our, our Christian relationship. My friends, there is no more special 
There's no more special sign and seal of that covenant relationship than these elements on this table before you today. Here we come. This is the new covenant. Notice how Christ takes the sign of the covenant and describes it as the covenant. Here's the picture of that covenant, of our relationship with him. And that relationship is not a whimsical or lighthearted thing. Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. This is, this is a covenant. This is like a marriage relationship which we bind one another to vows, to promises, to pledges that we will be true and we will serve the Lord. Well, I pray that the Lord will help us as we consider these things and as we prepare to come into his presence and partake of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Let's pray together. Father, we bless you and we praise you for such a sign and seal, one that is open to us as we come, as your people, redeemed by your grace and blessed by your favor. We ask, Lord, that you would work deeply in our hearts, that with great joy and great commitment, we will draw near to you in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.